little show. We're just here to talk about um, the exciting world of crypto, DeFi, everything that's kind of going on, why you should get excited about it, and kind of answer any questions because it is kind of a scary space. It's a bit overwhelming. And without someone kind of to walk you through it, I know it can kind of be a daunting process. Um, but anyway, a little bit about myself. I got into crypto about four years ago now in 2017. I kind of did a lot of bit of investing, a lot of really just gambling at the time. Uh, made some money, I lost a lot of money through the subsequent crash in 2018. Um, but, you know, hung around. And as the space has matured now, it's only getting more and more exciting. More and more opportunities are kind of emerging everywhere. And it's kind of no better time than right now to get your feet wet in the space. Um, I'll take it away to my co-host to kind of give you a little bit of a background on himself. Um, well, uh, yeah, thanks for that, Jeff. Uh, again, um, welcome to our little show. I hope you learned something. So, uh, by way of background for myself, uh, unlike Jeff, um, I would be what you consider a crypto newbie. I've been in this space for a few months, but I will tell you that it has been a wild ride, a very intense ride. Uh, I've been in traditional finance for most of my career, um, you know, a little bit longer than I care to admit, uh, over a decade. And I would say that um, a lot of what I'm seeing in DeFi space and in crypto space is incredibly exciting for me. Uh, it hits a lot of the right notes of what I used to do. And so that's why I got so passionate and I got connected to Jeff through a mutual friend. And Jeff is like the perfect guy to kind of walk you through everything. Um, and so, yeah, it, I, we just thought that, you know, since we were having such a good time chatting, we thought maybe, um, you know, more people would like to hear what we've been talking about. So that's kind of the genesis of this idea. Yeah, and these episodes, you know, we're not going to be here to tell you what to buy or, you know, speculate on any coins or anything. We just kind of want to give you an idea of what is going on, the technology kind of taking place, the opportunities that are there for you if you kind of choose to explore and do a bit of your own research. Um, but generally, just kind of give you almost a hands-on guide of what you can do to get started how to kind of get your feet wet, how to operate the machinery of DeFi, um, because it can be very overwhelming. And just trying to make sense of all the information out there can be quite a hassle. Um, but anyway, let's get started. I want to ask you a bit about what brought you into the crypto space as a traditional finance guy, um, you know, with a lot of experience in, you know, traditional markets and everything. What kind of brought you into this yeah. new frontier? That's an awesome question to start us off with, Jeff. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, I was the biggest crypto skeptic um, for the longest time. I think coming from traditional finance, we're, uh, we're used to our own little world. Uh, we're used to um, kind of operating uh, by the rules of the game that's written, uh, that's, that's existing in the uh, financial kind of uh, order of things. And um, I just did just didn't make sense. I didn't feel like we needed a new currency. The Bitcoin didn't make sense. It sounded like a magic internet money. Um, and then this whole blockchain just felt like it was um, a solution looking for a problem. And um, yeah, so I just to kind of throw that out there, I was your biggest uh, critic for the longest time. And I'm sure <laughs> some of uh, our listeners are can probably relate to that. But then over time, and the word that I keep coming back to is this idea of decentralization. 
So I realized that in traditional finance, um, so I myself am more on the trading side and secondary markets. So uh, I was a PM at a hedge fund for uh, most of my career, actually, and um, always operating in kind of this kind of niche area uh, in the financial ecosystem. But as I kind of branched out and got to know more about like just from, say, VCs to PEs uh, to, you know, algo trading to uh, the IPO process. I mean, all this random stuff that um, I kind of opened my eyes to. I realized that actually um, there are gatekeepers in every part of this process. And some of the gatekeepers are are there for a reason. It's to prevent fraud, money laundering, you know, other criminal activities. But then um, I realized that it was also stifling innovation. Um, and coming from kind of working at the traditional banks, investment bank, commercial bank, um, you know, you get a sense that, wow, um, yes, there's a place for gatekeepers and regulations, but it really was holding back um, development in, in the space. And so then I started reading up a little bit more into it. And I realized because of technology, smart contracts, uh, everything can just be done so much more efficiently. And you have this new universe where interest rates are, uh, you know, 10, upwards of 10 to 20 percent. Um, and you compare that to traditional finance, where we're still talking about, you know, whether the Fed's going to be hiking 25 or 50 basis points. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could tell, go on for a long time about this, but, you know, that's kind of uh, uh, what really piqued my interest. Yeah, I think um, I hear that a lot, you know, this kind of this desire, not just for better ways to save the value of your money. You see, like, what's happening with inflation and everything, but just having, you know, a way to generate real yields, you know, I think a lot of people um, are definitely kind of really starving for yield, you know, we've had interest rates at just rock bottom for so long now, that there's yeah. just no real way for um, most people to kind of save their money and appreciably yeah. grow it. Um, yeah, you know, you know, Jeff, I'm a little bit older than you when I uh, joined the industry. Uh, this is when I'm dating myself when uh, Fed funds rate was at five and a quarter percent. So I still remember being able to deposit my first paycheck at Citibank and getting 5% on my savings rate. And I thought that was okay. You know, fresh out of college, uh, I was like, oh, if I work hard, you know, put a little bit away every month, 5% uh, is not bad. You know, it's not enough to retire on. But, you know, if I'm responsible, yeah, maybe it's like a dream now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then, um, you know, the financial crisis hit and rates were taken down to basically 0%. And they've more or less been there uh, ever since. I mean, the Fed did try to hike rates, um, you know, briefly, but then uh, asset markets crashed. And, um, you know, we, we've kind of been living in this uh, world where in addition to the Fed keeping interest rates low, they've been basically buying. They've been um, going out and trying to control the whole term structure of interest rates, not just the front end. It used to be now they're actively involved in interest rates now. So it's it's definitely propped up a lot of asset bubbles. And so, um, you know, you hear that a lot. A lot of the critics uh, of uh, crypto also say, ah, you know, if it wasn't for easy money, um, you know, the uh, you know, prices wouldn't be prices for Bitcoin, Ethereum, some of these other coins wouldn't be where they are. Um, and my answer to them uh, for that is certainly I think liquidity has helped in this space. But um, also I would ask them to do a little bit of research and to read into what's happening um, you know, in this ecosystem, the technology behind it, the breakthroughs that uh, we've been making in this space, um, rather than just saying, oh, you know, it's, um, you know, liquidity that's pumped up uh, everything. 
So yeah, that's my kind of um, yeah my view of it from from my side. You know, I wanted to ask you, Jeff, because uh, like I, I get a lot of questions, and um, even myself, I have some of these questions circulating. But um, you know, the common question I get, and maybe our our, our listeners are thinking the same, like, what are some real use cases of blockchain right now? You know, it's like how because you know we walk out and we're like, all right. Most of us don't have any idea how to program in Solidity, right? That's the smart contract. You know, that's what you need to, that's the code that you need to learn to program smart contracts for Ethereum. Nobody knows what that is, right? But life goes on for them pretty normally. Um, and, you know, cash as is right now, the, uh, you know, swiping your Visa credit card or using um, Venmo, all that seems pretty decent. Why, why do we need, you know, this disruption, Jeff? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's like, that's a question I hear a lot in the common criticism that, you know, you even kind of touched upon it earlier that crypto and blockchain is kind of like a solution looking for a problem. Um, but, you know, I disagree with that because for let's look at blockchain at the most basic level, right? Bitcoin itself as a use case of just store of value. I think that's already a real use case, you know, um, you can agree or disagree on like how much that store of value should be worth or you know just how valuable that is i already believe that's a real real world use case like today that we have where people can have this asset that is decentralized that's not controlled by the government and they have this level of trust in the code that their assets not going to be taken away from them or you know just one day be stolen or like controlled by the government lose access to it no they'll always have it um Outside of that, you know, when we're looking more in terms of just the development in um, the DeFi ecosystem and all the different protocols that are coming out right now, you know, we see a lot of like trading activity, a ton of money and everything moving around in DeFi. But sometimes people say that's kind of just like trading and economic activity for the sake of economic activity. While that's not like entirely untrue, there's already ways that this is creating real world products that people can use. Um, my favorite, you know, we touched upon the issue of low yields. My favorite protocol right now is probably the Terra Luna ecosystem because they're so focused on having money as their primary product. Um, if you listen to any of the fa- interviews with the founder, Do Kwan, he's incredibly intelligent and he always talks about how he views money as their product and how can they just then make the best money available. So something that's easy to use, something that's very liquid, something that's easily transferable, stable, keeps its peg. You know, you don't have to worry about it suddenly being worth less than a dollar, even though it's supposedly uh, pegged to the U.S. dollar value. So the whole like Terra ecosystem is built around the idea of having this stable coin, tying it all together. Um, And one of their premier products is Anchor Protocol, which is essentially just the bank account. You know, it's a decentralized bank account. You can connect your Terra wallet to it, deposit some UST, and then just get kind of a, you know, just a flat 19.5% yield, which, you know, compared to traditional finance products is like quite incredible and quite amazing. Um, You know, that's kind of an instance where it's filling a need for people to have uh, real ways to, you know, maintain their spending power. Yeah. You know, uh, as Jeff alluded to at the beginning of our podcast, um, uh, it's not meant to be financial advice, right? Um, we're not asking right, you to go right, out. And, uh, yeah, reiterate. This is, uh, 
you know, um, you should go speak to your financial advisor. Uh, yeah, this is all just for you know, informational purposes. <laughs> informational. But, uh, but I think, um, you know, Jeff um, mentioning the Terra system is awesome because uh, it's something that, you know, I've been kind of quite uh, digging quite a bit into as well. But Jeff, um, when I saw on Anchor that I could deposit my UST, which is the equivalent of kind of a stable coin in their ecosystem, I could deposit and get something like 19.5%. Um, you know, I was quite, uh, I mean, I had to blink a few times um, and there's no gimmicks, there's no leverage. Uh, there's no collateral I need to put up. I mean, it's it. That's it. And that's just that's I just it, simply yeah. deposit. Yeah, I simply deposit. I get nineteen and a half percent, and they have a little ticker that basically updates like every few seconds. I feel like you know you get a few pennies on your. Yeah, uh, it's, it's like a live <laughs> stream of your. Yeah. So cash flow. when I I mean the thing is, but I'm almost afraid to mention that to some of my kind of non crypto friends because they're like, oh, nineteen percent. It's got to be a scam because again, coming from traditional finance, when we hear like high yield bonds. You know, um, you know, can yield eight to twelve to fifteen, eighteen percent, depending on the state of default that some of these uh, bonds are in. So, anytime you hear, you know, these kinds of yield levels, we immediately think there's some sort of a, you know, credit risk um, or some risk premium that's built in. So, how can you help our listeners understand um, how they're able to offer this in a way that isn't quite the same as you taking on, you know, credit risk the way you would in the real world to achieve those yields. Right, right. So, I mean, as far as I see things like Anchor, like to me, it's considered one of the, like on the very low end of the risk spectrum in this space, you know, like inherently, you know, we we have that disclaimer of this is not financial advice because this is a, a risky space. You know, this is kind of the newest frontier of both technology and finance and this crazy intersection of culture and everything. So, you know, things can go wrong. You can you know, things can go south really quickly. So you have to be careful. But even then, I think something like Anchor achieves these yields because ultimately it kind of balances out with its two products where it has this borrow product and this earn product. Um, the borrow product, you take out loans, you know, you deposit collateral in the form of um, Luna or Ether and you take out a loan. And when you take out that loan, you are paying a quite a high interest rate at around like 20, 20, like 21, 22, something like that, something of that APR. Um, but it's more than made up because they pay you in their native ANC token as well. Um, so if you are unfamiliar with crypto and you're just kind of brand new and getting your in, uh, feet into this, there you might have noticed there's like a million different tokens. Um but having so many tokens is how these protocols kind of fund themselves and kind of create value in their system and encourage people to use their products. So for example, ANC, you're paying a high interest rate on your loan, but they're paying you an equivalent, if not more, um, percentage rate in their own ANC token. So you're being compensated and in the for past several months now, you were effectively being paid to borrow money. Now, the ANC tokens have their own market value and can fluctuate. But the loan, like the 20-ish percent you're paying to your loan is then used to generate yield for the people that are depositing in their earn product, which is effectively their savings account. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why these yields are so high and go to the customers, because unlike traditional banking products, you know, DeFi doesn't have, doesn't have rent, doesn't have employees doesn't have to pay for health insurance, you know, taxes, those kind of things. It just kind of exists as code and anyone can interact with it. 
the protocol might take a small fee for itself or for its like creators, but ultimately the value that your assets are creating by being lent out or being used as liquidity, all that value is then just funneled back to you as the owner of those assets, which is why the yields appear so high compared to traditional finance. Thanks for, yeah, thanks Jeff for uh, kind of taking us down uh, this space uh, a little bit more uh, a little bit more deeply, because again, Jeff has uh, played in this space uh, quite a bit more than I have. And so from, again, from an outsider's perspective, I look at what Jeff has described and I'm like, wow, this is a perfect example of what I alluded to earlier, this idea of decentralization, right? Um, you know, it's all governed by code. I mean, Terra, their developers, um, you know, kind of developed the smart contracts that then kind of run the system. And of course, over time, there are decisions that need to be made. And people who have governance tokens, um, you know, you and I who choose to own a share of the ecosystem will all have a say. And it's a truly decentralized uh, format. Um, and there isn't um, as much as as much as you participate in the system, uh, you will get rewards proportionately. So um, taking kind of maybe a few more steps back, uh, I see in this um you know, this whole kind of ecosystem, I keep using that word and maybe I'll overuse it, but uh, it's all about like user adoption, right? Um, you know, how, how it ties to the real world is, well, if we get people from the real world doing real world activities, deciding that maybe some of it is better done in the digital world, um, then that is real world. Um, so definitely I, uh, I know of people who have moved money away from the banks um, and it sounds uh, a little bit, it's almost like, you know, you're, you're taking business away from the bank since that's always very sensitive. And, uh, but they're putting it in this DeFi system and whether they're doing the very, very, you know, uh, crazy leveraged stuff, uh, investing it in super speculative projects, or they're doing it in something that's a bit more stable, um, but they're doing it. They're doing it because they realize in this new ecosystem, the risk-free rate, and again, I use risk-free in quotation marks, it's, it's the risk-free rate in this new yeah, digital relatively world. yeah relative yeah but it's um it will be higher but I, I the way i see that again is that's natural i mean emerging markets interest rates are supposed to be higher because projects do have a higher return um i mean you look at the early stages of uh, a country's development or um you know you look at of course there are greater risks involved and that's why you need to be compensated so this is why um in developed world interest rates tend to be close to zero, if not negative now. I mean, we go through this problem, uh, what they call secular stagnation, where um, economies can't kind of figure out a way to uh, boost their productivity. Uh, they seem to be kind of in a rut. Um, and uh, you've seen Japan they call it the last few decades now. Um, and so, but we have this kind of new, exciting uh, world uh, to, to be seen, of course. And, and again, I mean, we all to be humble and we all have to, I mean, I think Jeff mentioned that, um, you know, his ride in crypto has been up and down as well, but I think that's learning. Uh, we all need to be humble that this isn't for, you know, guaranteed, but at the end of the day, I think this is the first time, certainly in my career, in my life, I've seen this opportunity to really create something very new. And, uh, you know, without going into all the weeds, um, you know, there are things like decentralized autonomous organizations, DAOs, that you know, popping up this idea that you can participate in the governance of kind of this automated company. I think that's very exciting. And another space is like NFTs. I'll talk about a real world application. I mean, I personally know of artists who have shifted from, you know, just, um, you know, 
traditional kind of artwork to more uh, more digital because they have much more control over their work. You know, they can be much more creative and add different features. Uh, they know who's uh, viewing it. They can collect a commission or royalty on it if they so choose. They can modify the art over time. There's smart contracts that are embedded in the NFTs where the NFT will change, evolve over time. Uh, so there's all these cool things. And uh, I mean, we're just scratching the surface, really. Well, I think that's part of why this space is so, you know, it's not just exciting, but also scary, right? It's, it's like overwhelming for people trying to trying to really break through into this crazy space and figure out what's going on. And it's just daunting for a lot of people to the point that, you know, it's easier to ignore it and, you know, not pay attention because you hear all these crazy terms being thrown around, all these crazy numbers, but also all the, the fact that people are also losing money sometimes, you know, so yeah, I understand it. It's, it's kind of this space. that's so, really exciting, but also quite. Uh, so, so that's another question I have then, uh, Jeff. So I'm not a tech guru. A lot of my friends around me are not tech gurus. We don't know how to program. Um, and maybe the last programming class we took was yeah, in, in college. So does that mean we, it's hard for us to participate in this space? I mean, is this really only the realm of like, you know, really, you know, like computer kind of computer geeks or, um, I don't use that in a derogatory way. I mean, I actually have a lot of no, no. Have... <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think I think one of the cool things is like, don't get me wrong, knowing that stuff helps. But I'm no coder. Like most of the people I know involved in this space are not technical people. The technical mm. people are almost like the you know the rare sought after unicorns in the space because they're the builders. They're the ones that are kind of really driving the innovation forward, and they're not they're not common. But the beautiful mm. thing about this space is that because it's decentralized, because anyone can participate, you know, it lets people without the technical know-how or even, you know, like the economic know-how really to just experiment and try and learn by doing and, you know, take the risks if they want to do it to learn these things on their own. Um, you know, if you don't know how to code, that's okay because you can find other ways to verify information. You can find other trusted actors in the space that you you know, you can vet yourself, you know, look at their past work or everything. And, you know, also the open nature of blockchain technology in general makes it, even though I can't verify the code itself, I can like scan through Etherscan, you know, I can look through contract addresses, I can see, oh, you know, the creator of this project had also, you know, moved a bunch of Ether to this, you know, application in the past. And why would mm. you do that and make my own judgments mm. that way, you know, just because the open nature of this technology allows anyone, even without the technical means to write their own programs or read the code of it, to at least have some transparency over what is going on with all the money sure. being moved around, you know. Sure, sure. Just um, I want to reiterate that and correct me if I'm wrong. But basically, every transaction, uh, whether it's in Bitcoin or Ethereum or in some all these other kind of blockchains, um, are publicly available. I mean, you can see one address sending funds to another address. You just don't know, you know, the, the people tied behind these addresses, but it's all there for you to see. It's public knowledge. You just need an internet connection. Is that right? To see all this? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the exceptions, of course, are all the privacy coins that also exist. Mm. But, you know, for the most part, the, the point of blockchain technology is that it's an open ledger, an open public ledger of all the transactions that have ever happened in the history of that blockchain. <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, you'll be able to trace from the very first transaction ever, you know, all the way down to, you know, the one that 
just occur this very second. Mm, um, mm. Yeah, I but, think I think we really need to yeah drive that home. Listeners who have always felt like oh it's this secretive kind of you know anonymous and shady, but really I mean it's probably more transparent than most of you know traditional. Yeah, banking. I mean it's it's yeah. way more transparent than you know what you would find at a bank. You know when you withdraw a hundred dollars at the ATM, do you know like where that hundred dollars has gone through? Like do you mm -hmm. know what it has funded in the past or anything? No. Mm -hmm. But, you know, mm -hmm. with an Ethereum not. transaction or a Bitcoin, like, you'll see the, like, literal history of that entire coin, like, going back to its Genesis block. Um, mm -hmm. Which is, you know, just one of the many advantages that this technology has over our kind of legacy finance systems. Uh, and, and just to follow up on what Jeff was saying, that, um, you know, there's a lot of material. It's open source that you can learn. Uh, I can personally attest to that. And I highly encourage our listeners, if you haven't already, um, to just plug yourself into, uh, for example, uh, Medium or Reddit, um, you know, or uh, just GitHub, uh, again, depending on your preference. So um, it is, there's so much good information out there. Um, yeah, you know, it's so I, open, you know, it's, it's like, very, very not like, to, to be honest, the best I was, things about the community is how open it is, you know, very, very welcoming and, and everything. And the stuff is, and the stuff is well written. You know, the stuff is well written. It's concise. It's clear. Of course, there are material that's less quality than others. I mean, you're always going to get that. You get a range. But there's very good material out there that will explain highly complex concepts uh, in simple terms. So if you haven't, as I said, I mean, everything. So, for example, uh, you know, I, there's certain people I follow on Twitter. Um, there's certain people, um, you know, that uh, I just, uh, they have like a blog, you know, I follow. But then if you just have a question about something literally if you google it you will find a good medium article about it. you know like right now um proof of work proof of stake a lot of noise about that um you know you just google it what what's the difference you know maybe you didn't even even you didn't even know that um the industry was going through this transformation right now you didn't know that people have been ethereum 2.0 but what is that well guess what i mean depending on how big how how long how much time you have you can spend five minutes to understand things kind of at a surface level, or you can spend five hours to understand things at a deep level, and you will find good information. I remember when I was uh, you know, in college, right, and I needed to you know, study some material. Um, it was really hard for me to find good information online. I literally had to just rely on it. And if it wasn't in a textbook, if the textbook was poorly written, which oftentimes it is, I just had a hard time learning material. It's not like now where... So that's why I've been staying up late. I've been telling Jeff, I've been staying up late these nights, um, just reading up on this stuff. I would say, I mean, yeah, really I mean, one of the best things is kind of how, because it's this whole new thing where there's no real rules yet, you know, you can learn the way that best suits you. You know, for me, like, I'm a learn by doing kind of person. So when I kind of dive uh, like deep into this space, I just kind of went right into the deep end. I just started moving money into it. Mm. Or should I say started losing money in this? In this <laughs> um, but, you know, it was it was how I learned. And and, you know, that was how w the effective way for me to figure out what was going on. And what's cool is in this space is there's just so many ways to figure out like what works for you. There's no real set way to do things right now because everyone is just figuring it out. Everything is so new. It's almost experimental. But at the same time, there's these core fundamental concepts that you can learn. And you can have a really solid base to understand 
very, very like well what is going on and the direction that the space is going in and how you can take advantage of these new opportunities that are kind of presenting themselves every day. Um, you know, when I uh, first started uh, in the industry, um, I remember still my first job on the trading floor. Um, as I kind of moved past just like booking trades um, and it moved me into a role where I could start putting on some risk. I remember my boss, uh, you know, he advised me exactly what just what Jeff just said. Start playing money. Uh, start um, putting money, you know, into the game. Start uh, putting on a little bit of risk. I mean, of course, ask some questions before you, you know, execute your first trade. But it's almost like you will have a lot more questions after you have a trade on. Um, you will have you will be a lot more in it. Um, you will be able to learn a lot. Uh, yeah. Kind of I mean, the, it's, it's yeah. almost embarrassing. Like the, the things I learn most about the projects and like the things I'm in are always like after the fact, after the fact of yeah. like, just put a bunch of money in something. And then I'm like, all yeah. right, well, I guess now I'm stuck with this. Yeah. <laughs> and then I learn all this stuff about it. And it gets me excited again, but you know, yeah. It's, you know, all, there's say, always uh, exciting things happening. Yeah, they, they always say shoot. You know, they say they have this expression: shoot first, ask questions later. It's yeah. almost like <laughs> invest first and then ask questions later. Again, this is not investment advice for our uh, listeners. <laughs> uh, do your own research. If you're uncomfortable, please do not you know invest in any of these projects. I mean, and that goes to, uh, without saying. Um, you know, whether it's in crypto space or whether it's buying a stock. You know, I mean, you shouldn't you know, buy like Amazon or Facebook if you're not comfortable with the company and haven't done your research. I mean, I think that's just smart advice. But at the same time, uh, I think, you know, um, as Jeff was describing to me how he looks at this world, I found a real kind of connection there because when I started in the industry, um, I mean, that's kind of what we did. Like we play around, we try to find ways in which you can, you know, earn an extra yield here, maybe find a good story there. I'll put a little money here, put a little money there. You got to start small because you don't know. I mean, you don't know how it's going to evolve. And then um, the last thing you want to do is to be in the hole and to be obsessed about a, a position that loses money. Um, but the best learning happens actually when you've got a little bit uh, on the line and then you, your comfort level grows. And then you start evolving as a trader. Um, you start evolving, uh, you find your style. And so I was kidding in a previous conversation with Jeff. I'm like, you know, a lot of what you're doing is not, uh, you know, dissimilar to uh, what a lot of, you know, hedge fund guys are doing, except, you know, you're in your boxer shorts, right? And these guys are, you know, kind of in a, you know, in a button down shirt. And maybe, you know, uh, after you execute a trade, you know, you can go, uh, you're in your living room. These guys are maybe getting drinks, uh, you know, downstairs at some, some, some nice restaurant. I mean, it's just, but, you know, regardless, um, I think the, the, you know, there's a lot happening in this space that I think um, it's it complements uh, what's happening in traditional finance. It complements what's happening in the real world. You know, I'm not one of those fanatics that's like, you know, f everything, f the government, f centralization. You know, down with the authority. I mean, I just want to put it out there. That's not, you know, uh, my interest in crypto space. Um, but I just think that there's a lot to be had, uh, a lot of progress to be had when you can kind of have this open source kind of like Jeff and I, you know, we, um, because we have this common interest in this and everything's kind of open source and it's this community, we've just learned so much from each other. Like we're not colleagues. Um, you know, we don't work in the same place. Heck, we don't even live in the same town. We don't even live in the same country, 
but uh, but we're able to just learn from each other. And that's what's happening across. I mean, think about it just between me and John. Think about what's happening for the developers. You know, uh, I personally know of people who, you know, they had this idea, they posted it on GitHub and they were able to get like this team, um, you know, from Japan, Germany, South Korea, all kind of working on his own project. And I think that's just incredible. Yeah, I think the real, real like interesting part that's really... Uh drawn me in about this space is this community aspect you know i kind of think just zooming out a bit like in terms of like the wider world i'm like a couple years younger than you and my generation and younger i see just it's harder to you know have this close-knit community because everyone always like moves away and like we're all online and stuff but you know with this whole web 3 thing where people are collaborating building like exciting new things together and, you know, they may never meet in person, but they, you know, will know each other through their Twitter avatar or, you know, just, <laughs> you know, Discord conversations and stuff. But they end up building like these major multi-billion dollar like protocols and stuff. And it's quite, quite impressive. And it's really, really speaks volumes to the you know ability for this new space to bring people together and build these digital communities, you know. Um, you know, we're... Hey. Hopefully, you know, the future is not so not so much where like we're still kind of like in our own worlds and bubbles. But, you know, we can even if it has to be online, it could be a space where, you know, people collaborate and really work together and have like a true sense of, you know, co-ownership in something, which is something that Web3 is kind of bringing about. Yeah, I, again, I um, one of the things that um I've always been kind of skeptical about is I'm like, oh, we're all going to become like siloed. We're all going to be in our own little universe. We're going to put on our goggles or yeah, like the matrix or something. Yeah. And it's like, and then we're not going to have any human interaction. Cause you know, I like to think of myself as someone who still values, you know, human interaction, um, you know, with, but obviously with COVID uh, it's made it more difficult to do so, but we have in place of that built this community. And I think it's already happening in kind of the, the crypto world, but the rest of the world is kind of catching up to it, which is like, oh, okay, actually we can have this community. We can, you know, create this like, um, you know, Zoom conference call where everybody, um, you know, maybe it's not a great substitute, but the technology is improving. Um, and so there will be a better user experience, um, you know, going forward. But I think, again, I, the reason I, um, you know, so excited about crypto space, and I just really want to emphasize that for listeners is the idea that now we have this kind of, we, the gatekeepers, there's less gatekeepers, right? There's more innovation, you know, kind of this flat structure. Um, you have open source. Um, it's it, no wonder. I mean, so many exciting things are happening. I mean, uh, I wake up every morning and I'm like, okay, today I'm going to focus on this thing that I didn't get to yesterday. Well, guess what? I just realized that there's a bunch of other stuff that I haven't gotten to still. I mean, the world is expanding faster than I can learn it. Um, and yeah. I, I just think, yeah, and I just I would just encourage people who are are um, you know in this space who have some mild interest um, to not be afraid to you know whether it's open up uh, an account an exchange. I know it sounds a little scary, you know, to open up a crypto exchange. You know, uh, I'm going to deposit money. I'm going to basically part with my U.S. dollar fiat, and it's going to become like this digital equivalent. Um, but maybe you're at that stage, or maybe you're already past that stage. You're comfortable with that. But I would encourage you to then play a little, play around a little bit more. Um, you know, instead of uh, the centralized exchanges which we're used to, play around with the decentralized exchanges, right? The Uniswap, Sushi Swaps, the the Pancake Swaps, uh, and then 
you know, these, yeah, the different these chains and everything. You know, it's a whole world out there that's yeah. being built out, like, right in front of us. And that's what's making the, not only, like, the speculative fervor, so, you know, red hot, and that's kind of what gets the headlines, but really it's the excitement around the community that's building this. Because some of the biggest projects coming out, you know, the teams are just anonymous. There's no, there's no, like, guy in a suit that's the CEO or, like, the CFO was from Harvard Law or something. No, it's just, you know, some guy... <laughs> With, like, a crazy, like, random, like, anime cartoon profile picture or something <laughs> that has some pseudonym. But he's just a brilliant coder who has come up with a very, very good product. And the market is reacting to stuff like that. And that's kind of what makes this space so interesting to me. Because it's this rejection of just, you know, that, that like... It's almost like almost fully merit based in a way where it's just, you know, you don't have to look at the person who's making it. You just kind of look at the product that's being made and everyone is kind of collaborating together from all over the world to build these different products that are new and novel and don't need permission to be built. You know, they don't need anyone's copyright or, you know, any government um, form that's approved. You know, they just build it. You know, everything's open source. You take another project you fork the code add some twist that you think would make it more interesting and then bing bang boom you know you now you got another whole little uh money lego block to play with to build <laughs> new strategies around uh, i just made a confession that um certainly i had a hard time getting over that kind of um guy who is like a cartoon character who really doesn't take himself seriously who doesn't have the pedigree you know doesn't have the ivy league um, doesn't, you know, play the part, as we say, right? You know, we always expect these um, guys who are like titans of the industry to look a certain way, right? Or to speak a certain way. Or, But, you know, um, it, it took a while for me to get over it. I'm like, oh, this has got to be a scam. Oh, I can't take that one seriously, right? Oh, what's this idea? You know, so it took me a while, but I'm so glad I got over it. Because once you get op over it, you realize that actually great ideas come from you know, all over. And uh, it's all for the, I mean, I, I went back to, um, uh, and, and I, I'm going back to an earlier term I used, which is user adoption. It's all about user adoption. I mean, at the end of the day, right, whether we're talking about traditional finance or traditional tech, the Facebooks, you know, the Ubers, uh, the Twitters, I mean, at the end of the day, it's people who use it, right? I mean, if people use it, people vote with their feet. Um, so uh, it's the same thing with crypto. It's the same thing with these communities. I, I, I use the word ecosystem. I sometimes use it interchangeably with communities. Um, I see this as you put out, you know, you, you give it your best shot. You know, you tell people, hey, this is the, the tokenomics, right, which is kind of the equivalent of your monetary policy, loosely. Um, this is the rules of this is like the governance structure. That'd be kind of the equivalent of like the political economy or um, uh, how we're going to run uh, our, like the equivalent of a constitution or regulations. Uh, and then we can decide whether we want to override some things. We can decide to change. Um, and it's all like, all right, we're going to throw that out there. You. And then if, uh, if it's something that sticks, if people like it, more people will join the community. And it doesn't require, um, so it, it's these, a lot of these uh, founders or some of these founders, at least are all anonymous, you know? Anonymous and, so, and you know, some of the ones that do end up um, doxing themselves or whatever, for whatever reason, end up being just like kids, you know? Rari yeah. Capital, one of the most innovative new kind of DeFi primitives. Um, and sorry, listeners, you don't know what that means yet, but hopefully throughout the course of the series, you know, we'll give you the tools to kind of break down the crazy language I sometimes throw out there. But um, yeah, so it's a whole new like piece of 
uh, money Lego that they've they built, and the guy behind it is just a 19-year-old kid who was working with a bunch of people he met online he's never met before in real life, who doesn't know, like, where his team even lives for some of them. But, you know, they built a protocol that has, like, a billion and a half dollars locked in it now. Um, and that's kind of the beauty of this space. You know, you don't need to be anyone with, you know, some amazing pedigree to make a real, real impact. You know, you just have to have a great idea and start building. And so that's why I go back to the the word that I used previously, gatekeepers. I do think that um, there's gatekeepers, regulators that exist for a reason, uh, but at the same time, uh, it does stifle innovation. And sometimes it, um, you know, doesn't give that, say, the 19-year-old a chance. And, and of course, I, I also want us to be humble about it, right? I mean, I think there's a lot that we can learn um, from people who've come before us and uh, things that have been done and tried. Um, you know, we we built ourselves on the... Um, on the shoulders of giants, right? I mean, again, not to kind of uh, overuse um, some of these terms, uh, but I just, um, I just find that you know, the, there's it opens up, it uh, democratizes, right, innovation, um, and that's why um, I'm excited about it. And even though I don't understand everything about it fully, and I'm sure I probably never will because the space is just so large, it's like trying to understand how the world works, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, like I have interest in macroeconomics, and um, I mean. Again, throughout my decade plus career, I mean, there's still so much that I'm learning uh, about macro because there's just so many moving parts. And digital, it's going to be the same thing. Um, and uh, but you know, Jeff, maybe I also want to just um, switch gears slightly. And um, if uh, some of the listeners may have another other pressing questions related to, for example, I I get asked a lot, like, oh, what if regulators just shut everything down? Um, you know, can't they just? I mean, right now there's even USP that you mentioned earlier seems like the U.S. authorities, you know, seem to uh, have their target set on this. Again, I don't have any better knowledge than, than what I'm just reading from the news. But what is can regulators just come in and say, okay, it's illegal, right? Because crypto is illegal in China. I don't even know what that means exactly. It's illegal. So, like, if I'm caught trading crypto, I get arrested. So then nobody trades it. But if nobody trades it, then we don't have this community. Then we can't. Right, you know, unlock our wallets. So what? What does that mean, Jeff? If the so regulators I mean, I get involved if, with this question, right? You got to like kind of break it down a little bit. So on one hand, right, can the government just declare the blockchain technology and crypto illegal? Yeah, they can declare that, you know. But kind of the beauty of this technology is that that's unenforceable. Um, there's no like server that they can shut down. There's no, mm. you know, um. AWS place that they send a letter <laughs> demanding like you know you, you can't stop stop hosting these guys you know they can't do that because the whole point of this is that these nodes these servers are run all over the world by many many different people and to really attack it requires so many resources that it's simply not really feasible at this time like you know if we're going to get really into it, you can say, yeah, but what if the government is going to devote like a military level budget to attack me? <laughs> okay, you know, maybe they'll do that. But, you know, there's also the real world issue of, you know, then they have to actually gather like 51% of all the miners in the world, you know, which they just can't, they just can't conjure that out of thin air either, you know. So like there's all these things that, mm -hmm. you know, the government just can't really, really do. Mm -hmm. Not to mention like mm -hmm. the politics of it, you know, at this point. Mm -hmm. with, Crypto being such an established asset class already, um, sure, there's wild speculation in the market itself among the different technologies within it. But as a whole, it's already become an accepted and 
respected asset class, you know. Um, yeah. you can, I we can't need to remind. The... Sorry, yeah, you go. Oh, finish your thoughts. Sorry, Jeff. We always get we, we do this all the time. Jeff and I we get excited talking about this, so <laughs> we interrupt each other. We yeah, so have, I was yeah. just thinking, like you know, these things the government can't really take the genie like back into the bottle, right? It's already out. Um, mm. But then, you know, can they make it difficult for innovation to grow? Yes. You know, we've already kind of seen that in the U.S., which is part of why a lot of the big blockchain companies are not U.S. based. You know, a lot of them are based in Singapore, Hong Kong, you know, the tax islands out in the Caribbean and stuff. But, you know, the point is, you know, they have friendlier regulations that will encourage innovation and whether we want it to or not, like whether the government wants this to happen or not, these innovations are coming. The pieces are already there. The people that are building them are already working. And there's nothing really that they can enforce that would stop them that is still kind of compatible with, you know, our view of liberal democracy. You know, I was uh, just going to say that, you know, I want to remind our listeners. Um, yes, there are very unfriendly governments uh, towards crypto, uh, but. We also have, for example, um, you know, El Salvador being the obvious country that comes to mind that has fully embraced it. But I think even um, between that spectrum of fully embracing it versus um, you know, being outright against it, there's a lot uh, of governments that are still trying to decide how they want to uh, play this. Because on the and one hand- you know, hand, the longer they wait too, you know, that is just more in crypto's favor. Because you know, as you and I both know, this, this uh, space just moves at light speed, you know? And yeah, government yeah. moves the exact opposite of light speed. <laughs> and so, so, you know, they're just going to get left behind because the innovation is not going to wait for them in the same way that and, Uber didn't wait for the government to let them start doing their business model. Like crypto is just going to keep on going. You know, the innovations are going to keep coming. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, if you look at even the policies in the U.S., you mentioned, um, I mean, on the one hand, right, uh, there, there's unfriendly uh, in certain ways. I know there's bills being passed and infrastructure bill. Um, you know, items uh, that, you know, people find very um, perhaps detrimental to the development or innovation of crypto. But on the other hand, um, you know, you do have that uh, Bitcoin future that's being listed, right, on, on the right. NASDAQ. So that's okay. I mean, so what does that mean exactly? So, um, you know, where does the government stand on that? And also, it seems like there are um, democratically elected senators and Congress people who represent their constituents who seem to want uh, or at least some of them seem to want crypto. So ultimately, um, if we still have faith in the democratic institutions um, and that the government uh, is reflecting the will of the people, um, and as more people are on board with this, and as more people feel like this truly is you know, helpful, and not just in a kind of a, oh, help me to get rich quickly, even though there are some people who do this, um, you know, they want to just uh, you know, make a quick buck, but I'm really not talking about this. And, and again, um, you know, this is, I think there's always going to be a, a sliver of uh, the, the population who um, aren't, you know, who may not believe in the whole, the whole system, but want to take advantage of it. But for the people who really have a vested interest in this, um, I, I think, yeah, there's opportunity is a lot of potential. And, um, and I think as it grows, um, people will start realizing, oh, my life can be better with uh, crypto. And it does. Um, you know, help a certain aspect of, um, you know, whether it's I'm a creator, an artist, or whether I'm just an average Joe who's looking to make a higher yield, or maybe the metaverse is kind of cool. Um, we haven't even talked about that. We'll have to leave that for another conversation. Um, the metaverse is, <laughs> you know, is like, it's all, it's like the trending topic right now. 
Um, and who knows how that's going to evolve? Who knows what the kind of things that we can do in the metaverse, right? So uh, I think regulators and governments need to be smart about this as well. Um, not only do they not want to be left behind, but they also don't want to get to a point where they're like shutting down the internet to the point, you know, if they were to launch that uh, nuclear kind of option where they were to shut down. They would be, um, they would just be shooting themselves in the foot because like you said, yeah. other governments are ready to, you know, embrace the technology and there's other governments that see like the importance of this thing and the opportunity it presents for them. So, you know, it's at this point, the, the genie's out of the bottle, you know, it's, it's just going to keep on doing its thing. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think we're, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, you know, we'd love to uh, get some input from you guys. Um, and uh, we, we're just kind of two, hopefully normal guys. Hopefully you find us normal. Um, and we just <laughs> have this, uh, this passion where we're united by this passion for, um, for, uh, for this space. Uh, but also, I just think that um, there's so much um, that we can still learn through this process and to learn as a community. Um, and so that's why I'm sure there are things that our listeners look at um, from a different angle or maybe there's things that they've explored that we haven't explored. So I'd love to get your feedback and uh, just kind of keep the dialogue going. Yeah, like, please, uh, if you have any questions, feel free to let us know, you know. Um... I've been in the space for quite a while. So sometimes the things that seem obvious to me just like <laughs> aren't. Um, so, but I'm happy to help. I love, you know, explaining this stuff. I love talking about this stuff. Um, and, you know, I really think that this is not only kind of the future of where technology is heading, but kind of like this really unique opportunity for you, like the regular person, you and I, to really be involved in a kind of groundbreaking development mm. and not just not just like monetary policy or technology but really in like human development in and of itself you know we've never really had the opportunity to have this system where you know people can control their money in a way that is super open but at the same time out of the control of the governing bodies so it's just really interesting time to see where everything develops wow that's some deep stuff. No, seriously. Like I'm, uh, <laughs> as I'm just kind of reflecting on what Jeff just said. Um, so hopefully we'll have you guys uh, join us uh, for our next uh, episode. And um, but in the meantime, again, um, you know, send us some feedback, uh, and we'll uh, maybe we'll just sign off for now. Sign off. All right. Yeah. And yeah. We'll, let uh, us we'll know. Um, all righty. All right. Talk to you later. Well. All right. See ya. Thanks a lot, Jeff. I learned a lot. Yeah. I, again, every time I talk to you, there's like, uh, I'm always learning, even though I think some of the stuff <laughs> yeah, that we covered me today. too, man. It's, it's, it's part of what makes this such a fun thing to do, you know? Uh, but right, yeah, man. have a great one, man. Uh, I'll let you, I'll let you run. Take care. All right. Yeah. Bye-bye.